Welcome to Glass Houses, a Billy Joel podcast. I'm Michael Grosvenor. And I'm Jack Frenino. Join us as we dig deep into Billy Joel's songs and history and what his music has meant to us. This episode goes off the beaten path, at least as far as official recordings go. We're diving into Billy Joel Live at CW Post in Greenvale, New York, May 6, 1977. This bootleg recording is renowned by fans as a peak performance from one of his classic lineups. Like the Carnegie Hall concert that Columbia Records released as part of the Stranger Deluxe Edition in 2008, and as a standalone limited edition on vinyl on Record Store Day in 2019, CW Post was recorded just before the band went into the studio to record The Stranger. In fact, the CW Post show took place just weeks before the Carnegie Hall show. But while the players and most of the setlists were the same, the two shows sound vastly different. CW Post is named after the college on Long Island where they held the concert. The show was broadcast live on WIOQ in Philadelphia and later rebroadcast on WLIR in New York. As a result, the recording of this show is pretty good, albeit a little raw, and that's part of what gives it its charm. This is a snapshot of a band playing into the red from the first notes of Miami 2017 through the last strains of Souvenir. It makes Carnegie Hall sound tame in comparison and even gives the seminal songs in the attic a run for its money. It's not only the energy on stage that makes this performance great. CW Post also offers a glimpse into the band's older arrangements. More sax fills, extra guitar riffs, and a whole lot of organ in the background, taking the place of orchestration and overdubs on the LPs. Those elements gave the show a more raw, freewheeling feel, where the band sounds as if it's flying by the seat of his pants. Over the next few years, as Billy and the band graduated from clubs and theaters to arenas and stadiums, many of the parts got streamlined, taken out, or picked up by synthesizers and more players on stage. But for the perfect listening experience of a raw, hungry rock and roll band about to break commercially, look no further than CW Post. In this episode, we'll go into some of the history behind the show and offer a song-by-song listening guide. Let's get started. All right. This show is out of control. I could substitute listening to this for coffee in the morning, if not for the fact that I have to sit down at the drums and play. Very rarely have I literally listened to a couple of these songs and not ran over to my drum set if I'm in the basement and like banged out a few of them. It's it's just that exciting. The energy is just really, really, really strong on this. And with bootlegs, it's really often hard to capture the energy. I, you know, I don't know if this was mixed or if it was just a straight board recording, but man, the energy comes through from start to finish on this. Yeah, I attribute part of it to the recording itself. You could tell it's not a perfect mix. I guess this is what was broadcast is usually what's out there. It's a little thin in a way that I like, and it's a little white hot. The mix is just a little hot, and I think it's great. I think it really makes it really pop and really feel alive. Yeah, that's a good observation. I think those elements definitely play into it, and also just kind of where these guys were in their career. I think they all probably had a good feeling that things were starting to happen. You know, this was just pre-Stranger, and the venue sizes were slowly starting to grow and especially you know in the northeast the audience were really 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 showing up for these shows and i think that probably fed into uh, the energy going on here as well yeah i mean you know it, it's it's off the charts uh you know a couple episodes back we did shea stadium and, and before that we did live from long island and you know as we kind of said in the intro when you go back and listen to cw post after those you see just what a show what a production those later concerts were i mean sure. this is this is just a rock and roll band and, and it's, it's got to do with the with the loose arrangements it's got to do with all the little film moments that are in there especially richie richie is like 
all over this record, man. I would I would I would go so far as to say, you know, he was almost washed out of history with Carnegie Hall and um and Songs in the Attic. I mean, there were so many more parts in the forefront on this recording sure. than in the same songs on those other uh on those other records. Even listening to some of the alternate takes um, there's a couple fills and things like that that he did that are either gone or a little lower in the mix based on the choices they made while mixing songs in the attic. But yeah. that's the beauty of this show right here is you really feel like you're listening to a straight live performance. So you're getting every drop of note that came on stage. You know, unless you're a huge Billy Joel fan, I think the last thing most people are going to say to themselves is, man, I really got to go hear a Billy Joel bootleg, you know? You know, it's not Fish, it's not the Grateful Dead, it's not the Allman Brothers, but mm-hmm. I mean, if you're even a casual listener, find this one. It's It just opens up a completely different dimension. And it really shows you um, in a weird way how much they, they have, I mean, they've been doing it, I, I would say for at least 10 or 20 years, and I think you probably have a sense of this too, because we're around the same age. A, a lot of the, the nitty gritty of the history of these bands sort of gets uh, kind of whitewashed in a way, you know, as they start putting out the re-releases and the deluxe editions and things like that you know the first thing you notice is a lot of the old photographs don't show up you know they really get very uniform about what images of the bands get officially released as an example of this you know in the 90s when i was in uh, junior high and high school i got into jethro tall and i got this box set obviously they put a lot of care into what photos they put out and the band looked even for a band that changed that much the photos looked really uniform really polished all the way through couple years ago i got on their uh, a great facebook page for the band and people as they do with billy you know they tend to to post a lot of like old photos from you know magazines and things that were coming out at the moment and they, they're so much more jagged there's so many more like stylistic ideas this in the photos that yep. they, they sort of push to the side you know and, and i don't know if it's billy necessarily or his management or whomever you know him like like just about any other you know classic rock performer a lot of those photos and then, you know, in these cases, a lot of the music, you know, they really have the opportunity to mm-hmm. rewrite their past. And I get yeah. why they do it. I mean, I'm embarrassed by things I wrote on Facebook a couple of years ago, you know, forget <laughs> like some recording of me that's out there, right. you know. Yeah. <laughs> but geez, man, this is um, this is a white hot album. There is a bit of a black hole in Billy's history around the street life turnstiles era. There isn't a lot of high quality stuff out there. The photos aren't out there too much. And I feel like the Piano Man era was documented decently well. And then obviously the stranger and going forward. But this period between 74 and mid 77 here, there really isn't a lot to find. Yeah, you see the, the early photos and then you see the stranger on. Yeah, this album too, it really makes you realize how much, I mean, we knew Songs in the Attic was unique because it was a, a themed live album. You know, most live albums were just like ostensibly at least one show. Right. Um, and this was right out there on the liner notes, you know, on the record that he wanted to recreate and, and, and redefine those old songs with his band. Yeah. So we knew we weren't getting like straight raw live, but when you right. listen to CW Post, you know, you realize how much care and thought they put into the document that they put out at that time. And you do get glim- glimpses throughout the show here there are some elements where you can hear where the arrangements were starting to take shape that ended up on the songs in the attic version some of the songs are still quite different live but some of Mm -hmm. them you can kind of hear some of the arrangement and the like intros and endings some of those choices are finally starting to kind of gel together with Mm -hmm. what i thought is the definitive versions in the early 80s on songs in the attic uh, you also on this album, you also hear um, things they put in and then took out by the time Songs in the Attic came around. 
Yeah. You know, speaking in that black hole, there's stuff that's not on the record, nor on songs in the attic. I, I still love to go see Billy any chance I get, and I'll never yeah. miss a show when I can. But man, to be able to go back to a time like this, before the lion's share of Billy's hits had even been written, and to see mm-hmm. a set list this rich with, you know, what I would call now deep cuts would have been amazing. So having been on the road quite a bit, this was right around the time they were writing for The Stranger. And this show is actually only about three or four weeks prior to the Carnegie Hall show. And we'll we'll do one on the Carnegie show down the road here. But that was the definitive live show of the era for Billy. And that was the show that Phil Ramone came to, saw the band live and wanted to work with Billy in the band. So that was such a historic time frame. And so this being only a couple weeks prior, it almost makes me feel like this may have been booked as kind of a warm up for these Carnegie shows. Because, I mean, they were definitely on tour and they were definitely on the East Coast. So it looks like he did actually two shows in a row at CW Post. It was the one we have on record is May 6th. Uh, then it looks like there was a double header actually the next day. It was uh, He was back at the at CW Post and then at the Laker Hall Gym in, in Oswego, New York. And then back into Jersey after that. And didn't he end up doing like five nights or something crazy at Carnegie? Yeah, it was something. Let me. Uh... I guess my point about that, though, is you know as a musician – Good luck being able to play this often in within 100 miles of each other. Oh, yeah. I mean, think about <laughs> it. Just the fact that he did two nights on Long Island before doing five or so sold out nights in the city, that's unheard of. Tell you what, I'm looking at this now. If there was a warm-up show at CW Post, it was actually May 21st before the three-night run at Carnegie Hall. Carnegie Hall was June 2nd through June 4th, but he was back at CW Post on May 21st. Oh, no kidding. Wow. It looks like he was out in Jersey, and then he came back down through like Schenectady and then uh, Connecticut to Long Island and then back out to, to Manhattan. Again, you know, unless you're a jam band, you really don't think you could pull that off. So we start with Miami 2017. And the big thing here uh, that I notice is Richie's all over this one. Uh, he's yep. got all those sax fills that didn't make it onto songs in the attic, wasn't on turnstiles, but they're all over. You hear a lot of them on the organ in the background too, which is really, really cool. Yeah, a lot of riffing going on throughout the song that just on any other officially released version, you just don't hear. And he is just really going for it right out of the gate. Really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I noticed the arrangement, too, was there were some elements that were a little closer to what ended up being on Songs in the Attic. I don't know which version you'd listen to, because I know there's a couple bootlegs of it floating around, but mm-hmm. um, it kind of starts a bit abruptly on my version, so I didn't really get to hear, like, you know, did they use the sirens, or what did they use going into the intro? Did did yours have that? Not really, not as much. I mean, what I did was, uh, well, first of all, everything but Miami 2017 is actually on Spotify now, is Greenvale 1977 which is cool. Uh, But that one has Miami 2017 listed, but doesn't have it, but you can't play it. Um, So I went to YouTube and it's on YouTube in like four parts. Yeah, so the one I heard, and especially compared to Carnegie Hall, no, it doesn't have the the sirens and everything at the beginning. Yeah. There's also a couple extra stops in there. Yeah. That got added clearly after Turnstiles, but but was gone by by songs. I love this song too as an opener. Some shows open with a bang and just come out of the gate swinging. What I like about this song as it builds and it's this middle of the song that is really high energy and really rocking. So yeah. I, I just love how it kind of eases into the show 
and then just builds and ends up being quite a powerful song. I think there's something to say about the theme of the song. It yeah. probably does a really good job of uh, subtly putting people in the mood. You know, it's it, you know the, the whole song is just this idea that like everything goes down in flames and, and you've and you've assembled. You know, <laughs> for this yep. ceremonial sort of thing, and you know to open with a song that sort of invokes that is probably a really cool psychological <laughs> trick, really. And all the New York references too. You know, with the Yankees yeah. and the battery. You know, you're not gonna get a roar of cheers you know when you're playing in san francisco oh yeah i mean you know, this pick, is still less pick the yankees yeah. up for free crowd goes crazy every time they play in new york oh you know? yeah yeah i mean this is uh less than two years after the infamous uh ford to city drop dead headline i'm sure that was still resonating even on long island you know this song too what caught me about it was that this is only you know a year or so after turnstiles was released even though it's only you know nine to twelve months apart you really hear the energy live as opposed to the studio recordings i, I do like the turnstiles album quite a bit but yeah. just already out of the gate they were just playing these songs live with such power and such energy it was great to that point too you know there's a lot of people just like i was saying like for a lot of people would never think to listen to a billy joe bootleg you know show this to that friend of yours that thinks billy joel's like nothing but a balladeer or he's like barry manilow or whatever show them this record they don't have to like them but i think they're going to eat their words on that because this and again man this respect them a, a bit more band yeah band, yeah yep. <laughs> speaking of which you know that brings us to i love love this version of somewhere along the line man i love that one two punch of miami 2017 into yep. what I'll just go ahead and call the New York version of Somewhere Along the Line. Um, yeah. I liked a lot about this concert. So much of Street Life Serenade and, and Piano Man had such a West Coast, almost country Western feel at times. And yeah. that's nice, but man, Long Island reclaims, reclaims <laughs> these songs. <laughs> right. On this oh, record. yeah. I mean, this is, you know, when they talk about how Billy wanted a New York band, yep. this is why, and this is what a New York band sounds like as yeah. opposed to LA session players. It really took on a whole new life here. I, I'm pretty sure the Lords played this one live, if I'm not mistaken, every now and again. But to say, yeah, when I saw them, they did it second. I did they? That specifically. Yeah. So there you go. It's second there as well. And yeah, the, only, the other thing I noticed about this, and I don't know if it's Billy or Richie, there's some like nice little like kind of Rick Wakeman keyboard lines going there towards the end too. I'm going to say it's Richie. Uh, I just have a feeling. It just yeah. doesn't seem like something you would play while you're singing. Sounds like somebody something somebody else would do to fill it in. It's definitely faster than the than the Piano Man version, but I think back then especially a lot of them were. It just gave it more energy. I wonder when this fell out of set list. I don't recall it being around too much longer after this era. I'm sure that uh, The Stranger and 52nd Street knocked a whole bunch of these out. Yeah. I almost wonder which of these he was happy to get rid of. If any of these he had them in because he needed a couple extra songs or something, you know, and he wasn't going to do uh, Finally Had the Words or something. Right. Because, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, going back to songs in the attic, he had and took his shot in uh, in the early 80s to recast whichever of his old songs he wanted. And he made his choices. So you got to think about why Ain't No Crime or Weekend Song or right. a couple of those other ones didn't make it to that album. All those songs on Songs in the Attic really, to me, are so cemented in the early 80s with that record. But yeah. a lot of these songs, like somewhere along the line, they really never carried over into the next decade as a result. So speaking of one that did carry over, though, next we have Summer Highland Falls. This is from uh, Turnstile's album. This is called Summer Highland Falls. 
Yeah. Or as he says on this one, Summer Highland Falls. Man, the, the Guyland accent is out in spades. <laughs> and again, that goes back to when we were talking about when he was doing those interviews, you know, when he was in like Germany or in Australia, his accent would shift a bit. Yeah. That that New York comes out even more when he's playing in New York. It just, especially back then. This one's pretty close. There's not too much to say, although I will get really, really nitpicky. Yep. And I'll say, is Liberty playing the bell on the ride it sounds like he's on the bell instead of the the, the ride symbol so that you get more of a pingy sound i would put a small amount of money on at least songs in the attic that he's just playing a straight dry ride symbol with the you know the horn solo and stuff like that i think the horn solo on the attic version i think it may be just like straight on the ride but he's doing some accents but i don't think he's getting to the bell but yeah, yeah. so that's something that's definitely different this song too to me felt just short and sweet i know yeah. it's not a long song to begin with but i was listening to this a few times this week and it was one of those blink and it's over i'm like how did we get to the <laughs> end so quick it just moves so fast yeah and it has so much more energy he usually gives it a, a little more bit of a sensitive treatment live but yeah right. and given with what the rest of the show sounded like they definitely notched up the energy on this one quite a bit Speaking of that, how about this version of Piano Man that comes next? Easily my favorite live version of the song. Maybe my favorite version, period, after hearing the original so many times. Uh, the Live from Long Island version is up there for me, but this one just pops, man. And Ooh. to that point of Live from Long Island, you know, you had mentioned that there's some versions, yeah. Ridge, that got a little more jazzy and a little more pop to it. This mm -hmm. is one of those versions. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is straight funk on that bridge, man. <laughs> yeah. It just swings, um, man. Yeah, there's a lot of swinging. There's, uh, you know, I mean, by Live from Long Island, you know, he was, he really migrated it back a lot to the studio version. Uh, this one, they're just, they're riffing on it. Um, yeah. The band, you know, the arrangement's different. The band does not come in right away. The band waits till uh, like about halfway through the first verse. Uh, there's some nice tremolo guitar picking that like kind of fast acoustic stuff. You know, there's a lot of elements on the studio version. You know, there's an accordion and there's a mandolin, you know, and, and all these little things that if you don't have those guys live, you're not going to make it sound the same. Now, of course, you have synthesizers and you can do whatever you want. So on this one, they didn't have that stuff. So Richie's back there on the organ and he's padding it out. Tywee Emerson there on guitar, yep. adding in that extra picking. They do this great dynamic drop the second time he does the la-da-da that he does, which yes. is pretty cool. If you're sick of piano, man... Go check out this version. Yeah, I noticed the organ as well, too. That's something that you really don't hear on other versions of this song, especially like the part where he's doing, you know, the piano, it sounds like a carnival. There's some great choices Richie's playing with the organ on that part in particular. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff. You forget that Richie played organ and played a lot of organ, you know, even though he's much more known as a sax player. Absolutely. And player. that was part of the requisite when Billy was looking for a guy mm -hmm. around turnstiles. He was specifically looking for a sax player who played organ and Richie knocked it out of the park on both fronts. I mean, yeah, he was a perfect fit. So after Piano Man, we have a world premiere here of yep. scenes from an Italian restaurant. I just love how yeah. Billy says that this is a brand new song and he's like a premiere, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> this is a uh, this is a brand new song. This is a kind of a, a premiere, I guess. I could dedicate this to uh, Cristiano's restaurant. This is called uh, Scenes from an Italian Restaurant. Just hear a song that is so great and just one of his most revered songs. To hear the very first live performance of it, I got goosebumps. 
there's a lot said about how Billy Joel's, you know, I think it's from allmusic.com. They say he was just as much Broadway as he was the Beatles. A Scenes from an Italian Restaurant is probably the perfect example of him playing less as a rock and roll player and more as a, almost like a Gershwin sort of thing. But right. this is a rock band, not a show band. Like, this is a rock and roll song through and through uh, on its day. Oh, yeah. You know, that middle part where, you know, the tempo picks up. On the yep. record, it's a cruise. You know what I mean? You feel like you're cruising in a car. The windows are down. The yep. This is swagger, man. Somebody is strutting down the sidewalk. Just the, the difference in the feel is really interesting, and it's really, really, really fun to hear it played with this kind of muscle. This song was, arrangement-wise, was super close to how it ended up on the record. And this was before Phil Ramone even got involved. They had this one pretty ready to go by the time they even met the guy. I was really surprised like that. I was sure that this was one that took form in the studio. Even a couple of uh, Liberty's fills towards the end um, that I thought were maybe something from the studio, they're pretty much yeah. there. That so last like, sax solo. Dun, 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 yeah. Dun. Some of those classic fills, I'm like, wow, it's, it's already there. And this goes back to it being a bootleg and being a, a radio recording. I love the washout. I love the fact that the sound kind of washes out. It's not well defined. It brings the excitement up a little more. Going back to the intro of it, this adds to the confusion of people claiming which restaurant this song is about. <laughs> he, he dedicates it yeah. this night to Cristiano's which was uh, an Italian restaurant on Long Island. I've also heard him tell the story. It was about the Italian restaurant right around the corner from Carnegie Hall and all this <laughs> stuff. So this right here has sparked a debate that has never ended as to which Italian restaurant this song is really about. James, we were always friends from our childhood days and we made our plans and we had to go our separate ways I went on the road We're six songs in now, peaking early and then, uh, right. you know, they get to James, you know, obviously comes down a notch because it's a ballad, but their energy comes down a little here. I'm hesitant to say that because it makes it sound as if I'm saying yep. they were not playing with energy. Again, right. they were already in the red starting out, yeah. so they brought it down to like perhaps a human level. I remember listening back to this and wondering, I wonder if like scenes took a little out of them, you know, <laughs> like just uh, debuting this gargantuan epic and they were like, whew, let's just take our breath for a minute. Take a breath know, for and, two minutes. And, yeah. Yeah. This song, to me, I don't know what it was. Maybe but yeah. the first time I heard it, I, I don't know. That's one song that just I never gravitated towards. I don't know if it felt a little too easy listening for me back in the day or what it was, mm -hmm. but I never latched onto it too much. I think in, in this instance, it probably does serve as a breath between scenes and the song that comes after it. The harmonies are really great. I've always liked that. The harmonies in the background vocals. Those are yeah. certainly noteworthy to me on this performance in particular. I always like this one. It is a little easy listening, but I think the subject matter kind of brought it out of that a little because it was such an idiosyncratic and slightly bitter thing that thematically it made it a little less uh, schmaltzy to me. It's interesting on this version, there's a little more rhythm coming out of Liberty. Almost a Latin feel. I mean, you know, for somebody that's about to throw his drumsticks about only the good die young being reggae, this is a reggae beat. <laughs> yeah. Now that you mentioned the lyrics, I always thought the lyrics were really good, but I think the choice of using the Fender Rhodes on this just gave it a yeah. different flavor. Yeah. I almost wonder what, how it would have sounded if we played it on piano. I think it would have been really schmaltzy. I will say, that though, image. that the Fender Rhodes, the intro to James, always reminded me of the theme song to Taxi. <laughs> Which was probably right around the same time. That's right around, yeah, 76 or so. So then we get to another monster song, uh, Angry Young Man. Yes. 
One thing I love about like a bootleg like this is they don't make cuts in between, and you hear little things like him getting the Moog up and running. You know. Yeah, checking you, it, you know. making sure it's working. Okay, we're good. Yeah, yeah, I love that stuff. I just love hearing a good mini Moog, and you know, just just hearing it laying out there for a minute. It's just a great sound. Mm, I dig it a lot for sure. And I love you know, in contrast, two songs prior when he announced Dean's from an Italian Restaurant as a brand new song, it uh, was like nobody clapping because nobody had ever heard it. <laughs> so there was no reaction right. at the beginning. Huge reaction at the end though but with angry young yeah. man here as soon as those opening notes start crowd goes crazy yeah well this was an opener for a while too so you know this is a big yep and i, I like this version it's a little loose again i'm going to be slightly nitpicky and i hope this doesn't come off as as negative but it's just a testament to a live show i, I love that they are so breakneck on it that if you listen closely a couple of those drum fills a couple of those piano runs are not very clean they're not sloppy there's no mistake they don't lose time but a couple of those notes blend together and it's endearing it's very charming in a, in a situation like this you're like dude they are just going for it I noted on my notes as well too fast yeah. <laughs> so that was one, the one thing like underlined bolded I'm like yeah this one really picked up the tempo and I, w I will say that Liberty's groove on this one in particular really felt so similar or close to it, how he would play it for the next 25 years. The drums on the studio version are so drastically different mm -hmm. than what they ended up doing with it live. And this, you get a, a taste of how he would develop the song as time goes. There's no uh, full drum set on the verses on, on the studio recording. So this is, yeah, this is where he laid down that alternate drum line that yep. he would keep throughout his run. A couple extra flams and stuff like that. Yeah. You know if we want to really start getting sick oh one thing i like and i think this is the first time it happens on this record and it happens a couple times is um he was keyed into this awesome like real fast snare fill and it pops up a lot and it's it's just steady it's just 16th notes but he does it at times where there's a lot going on in the music and so you hear like and it almost sounds polyrhythmic it almost yeah. sounds like it's almost working against what's happening, even though it's a very straight rhythm. And that's not on the albums. In terms of a live feel, like it's a great show moment. He does it a couple times. Yeah, it's like a snowplow. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, it is. I also love the tone of Doug's bass on this song, too. His bass yeah. just sounding fantastic you know the only drawback of the mix on this is that it's it's a little high-endy so he you can't hear doug nearly as well but yeah he does pop on this song a bit organ again really makes this one for me too yeah yeah i, I like the organ as well and the synth interludes and things like that and they're the bridge there that that's actually one of my favorite billy bridges is the the bridge in uh angry young man i just love the melody and then you know the way he did it on live from long island it was just like i love that but it's yeah. yeah i always love that bridge yeah there's a lot more to say about that song when we get to turnstiles but <laughs> yes now new york state of mind this is one i think we talked about this at shea we're both like ah that's great you know i'll go get a beer you know kind of right thing. not this one Nope. This is like up there with Piano Man. If you thought you heard New York State of Mind one too many times. Yeah. Give uh, this one a shot. <laughs> My notes were just, this is great. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, I, I mean, this version is just, wow. And yeah. I love it. He's like, 
can we get some sleazy lights going on? Yeah. I got to set the mood. You know, just like, all right. You know, he's just kind of getting in the mood. I can totally envision him putting on the shades the whole bit. Right. You know, and lighting the cigarette, kind of getting into the mood of it. And this song is just, you know, gosh, Richie's performance and the whole. Oh, yeah. Everything about this version is better than most versions of this song, I think. Yeah, it's so funny. He's like, let's put on some sleazy lights. You think he's going to go all lounge and he just like pisses all over that idea. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, okay. So if you haven't heard it yet, it's muscular. Yeah. Much more rocking. There's a lot of funky rhythms. There's a couple of like really like heavy stops in there where like everything just comes grinding to a halt and comes back in. I love he's messing around at the beginning and he's really, really flying around the keyboard. Mm-hmm. It's a really virtuoso moment in this being 1977 right. and all the prog rock bands are at the top of their game. And those bands are all about like, look how many notes I can play and that's their whole thing. Billy does this, but man, you really just feel like it's absent minded. Like he's playing this like fantastical run of notes and it just seems like he's messing around it just feels like his hands are disconnected from his body he's just like noodling around not even paying attention to it there's something about that that really really made it for me just just the way he he did it uh very casually yeah so after that we've got traveling prayer I like this version. It's it's great. It's like it's in the middle of so many other amazing things that like I'm taking a breather. And I yeah. love this song too. I feel like the jam just went on a little long. It's about two minutes of the intro that I'm just kind of riffing on it. For me, I'm like you could have cut it in half, still had a bit of that, but then gotten into the tune a little bit. But that's that's just right. for my taste. It's nice to hear this one though because this is one that I've never seen live, and so this is one that disappeared pretty quick after too. So this was a fun one. Yeah, come to think of it, I don't think this one's getting a lot. Of play anymore no no not at all just the way you are another one you know kind of rips through the ballad it's heavier you know this is another one brand new and when he announces just the way you are it's like you can hear crickets practically in the audience no one's ever heard (laughs) even the name before it's so quiet after he announces the song which has never happened again oh yeah (laughs) you know this is a this is another new song um You can imagine uh, kind of an arrangement to this uh, picture, you know, strings and stuff. This is called uh, Just the Way You Are. This is such a noticeable difference between Pre-Stranger and what Phil Ramone brought to this song. It's more of a straight ballad. That groove that Phil brought to the table that Liberty played is not there. Liberty's just playing a a straight little groove that's kind of quiet. And it just, maybe it's because it's so ingrained how the song became. Like this feels weird to me. Definitely felt different, didn't feel weird, it didn't take me out of it. I kind of enjoyed it a little better, but I think I've kind of established myself as one that's not too huge on the ballads. Hearing a heavier version of it did it for me. You know what's funny? Because there's uh, this one, and I don't know if it was old grade whistle test, but there's a couple TV performances, at least one other TV performance of Just The Way You Are. Richie never got the big solo at the end. Really? Yeah. You know, this one cuts off. You know, the TV one, I think it was old grade whistle. There's no big solo at the end of that one. Crowd loved this version though. I mean, this was a brand new song for them and the response was any indication right. i think they had to feel pretty good about it and it's funny because you know for a reaction like that and billy was thinking of not putting it on the album but he was road testing it so <laughs> after just the way you are we've got one of my favorite versions of the entertainer oh yeah i think this is just a fun version it's pretty loose but them just kind of having a good time i i really dig the intro between howie's guitar and billy yeah. just riffing on the vocal a bit before getting into the intro and they're just having fun with it 
this is pretty close to the Carnegie Hall version. Carnegie Hall, I, I think, just slightly more streamlined. But both of these have the extra verse. Right. Some of that vocalizing in the beginning. I think the Carnegie Hall version actually stretches out the beginning a little more. Again, and this is another Absolutely. tricky one. Uh, sort of like Piano Man in that the record has a lot of different instrumentation on it. A lot of stuff coming in and out and building on itself. In terms of uh, rhythm, harmony, and, and melody, you know, it's just yep. the same thing over and over again, just building in intensity every time. It does present challenges trying to do that live unless you got a banjo player around and, and everything else. Right. Um, so it's fun to hear this band really make this one their own, not just in their attitude, but, you know, they had to make more conscious decisions about how they were going to arrange it. I always wondered about the second verse, the extra verse here. Yeah. Because it's obviously not on the Street Life Serenade album version right. it's not there so it's like was it something that got cut from the album and was just originally how he wrote it or was it something that he tagged on after the fact and they played live for a while you know i only remember this extra verse for a couple years in the mid 70s here i kind of wonder you know where it came from yeah i mean it's a little sillier you know it's a little more yeah i mean course, my belly's you know? got a pot and there's a pimple <laughs> on my nose it's like <laughs> yeah <laughs> if that was originally part of the song i can see why it got dropped out <laughs> definitely more joke yeah. But as a snapshot of the shows in the mid '70s, as something that's out of the norm, it's it's it makes it kind of fun because it's something unique. Here are my home. I'm fine with this version. I like to listen to this one and then AB it with songs in the attic. I think this is possibly the best example of what I meant when I talked about how he really used songs in the attic not as a live album, but to reimagine right. those songs. Yes. Um, because you hear how much more polish mm -hmm. it is on songs and a little more uh, touching, a little more sentimental. This one didn't translate as well with the kind of breakneck rock treatment, I thought. Kind of tough to rein it in yeah. for one song. <laughs> Even something like, you know, Just the Way You Are, you know, they heavied it up a little and it was new and it was exciting. Part of what I like so much about the Attic version, though, is the two acoustic guitars, with Russell and David, both playing counterparts oh, right. against each other that just are so tight and so glued in there. There's only one acoustic guitar going on here, so it's a different part. It's a different feel. It's, it sits very different yeah. than the versions that came after. Now, here's another one you don't hear that no. often anymore. Root Beer Rag. Ah, what a fun little ditty. It is. I read that it's actually not a complex harmonically as quote-unquote real ragtime but yeah what a high wire act it must have been so exciting to watch this happen live yeah this is a fun one the band is super tight it's a full band song that still gives billy a vocal break yeah and uh, lib puts a little bit of funk in the middle of that so she's got a way yeah. i find it ironic that he talks about them speeding up the record and then he plays it fast <laughs> i know yeah. yeah the version was quite a bit quicker and i'm like you're just talking about how that ruined your record <laughs> yeah <laughs> it wasn't quite that fast but it's still enough to where i'm like okay yeah all right i think i've established myself as a fellow that likes synthesizers but yep. this was an odd use of them in this one. They just come in out of nowhere. They never quite sat right in this version. Now, but whatever they did for Carnegie Hall, I'm going to go strings. ahead and assume he did. Were they strings? Yeah, they had a string section on stage. Okay. That makes way more sense. I was like, yeah. 
wow, this sounds way different. Did they dial that thing in or something? Yeah, the synthesizer here was so abrupt and it comes in and you're like, it takes you out of the song. It does. Because you're like trying to figure out, was that on purpose or what's, what's, (laughs) it just didn't make sense to me. I was like, okay, what? That was, I mean, not that it was wrong notes, but it just didn't feel necessary. It seemed to be a combination of coming in too abruptly and just not sitting well in the mix like if it was a little in the background more if it was a little less sharp it could have slid in and been yeah it didn't slide in all of a sudden it's like yeah "Yeah." next up we have billy the kid yep yeah and they go right into it too which i kind of like like did not give she's got away a whole big sentimental pause it was like that was pretty cool yeah we see a couple of those straight snare fills again from lib on this one and a a good example of one there's a lot of rhythm going on and then like those those fills just cut right through it which perfectly placed Yep. Yeah. A lot of organ on this one. Some uh, really crazy piano playing here. He's in New York with the whole, you know, from a town known as Oyster Bay, Long <laughs> yeah. Island. Crowd goes crazy. Okay, so what you got to listen for in this one is how much melody Billy's playing on the piano while he's also singing a different melody. And that's like some Jimi Hendrix stuff, man. Yes. That's almost like trying to get two laptops and try to write two separate emails at the same time. To be able to separate the two so you're not throwing yourself. Uh, yeah, there's such a great melody right. going on on that piano. It's like so different than the vocal. Yeah, but it works so well together. I do love this... near the end the whole na 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 Yeah. <laughs> that, uh, you know, you heard back then. I just love that little part of it that that made me smile it's funny when you hear all the applause for this one this is sort of a lost hit i remember hearing it occasionally on the radio up through the 90s early 90s and then it really disappeared he played it through like the face-to-face tour i think right yeah i think when we were talking about that and then Mm -hmm. yeah it just kind of disappeared i remember hearing it on like mmr i think that's what's a bit different where i'm from and where you're from i think oh yeah radio out there would play much deeper Billy Joel cuts. With me, Piano Man did get airplay, but it was a lot of the Innocent Man and right. Matter of Trust, Stormfront. It was mostly the greatest hit stuff that, that we got mm. on the radio. So next is uh, I've Loved These Days. I almost like the songs in the attic version a little better. I did like the acoustic being oh, a little more sorry. up in the mix. That part I did like because you don't hear it too much on the attic version. Mm-hmm. The attic version just can't be beat. No, yeah. It just The attic version brings out the cinematic treatment that it needed. Though I will say even a lackluster version version of I've Loved These Days kicks the ass of what the song was originally, These Rhinestone Days. <laughs> yeah, These songs back-to-back are how it was sequenced on Songs in the Attic 2, and they're back-to-back yeah. here as well. First time the synths really didn't do it for me was actually on this song. She's Got Away, I noticed them. Yeah. But they, I feel like they didn't fit here, but the third verse couldn't even describe it. Something about the third verse really did it for me. You know, they, they, they hit something special in that moment. I've talked a lot about how high energy and what rock and roll it was in, the, you know, in this bootleg, and holy hell it is, but uh, it's something different in that third verse. They kind of tapped into something there for a minute. Uh, yeah. It wasn't just like muscle. Listening to this song, I was kind of preparing yeah, myself yeah. that this was like the end of the show. And and then I go back and I'm looking, I'm like, oh, there's still like five songs to go. Yeah, oh, yeah we got a ways to go. Uh, I like you can really yeah. hear the tone of uh, Liberty's Toms on this one. He, he always got mixed really dry, which is so funny because he's such a heavy player. But like on The Stranger and 52nd Street, he's got a thin treatment. Yep. You know, on this one, you really hear what those drums sound like. I'm going to say, at least in the studio, he must have like really had them tuned very loose and then just smacked them to get the sound out of it. Yeah, I feel that's the case. I know for sure that they did that on Glass Houses. 
Those toms uh-huh. and the snare are tuned down quite a bit because they're more thuddy than anything else. Um, but I would venture to guess that The Stranger and 52nd Street were a bit of that as well. The fills on this song, you really hear, you know, how well he, he drew the sound out of those. So the tighter the drum yeah. head is, the less work you have to do to get sound out of it. You know, if it's tight, you just tap it and you get a nice musical tone. It's very resonant. When you tune them really loose, almost to the point where there's wrinkles in them. And this is common in studios too. You know, that you really got to smack the hell out of them get sound out of it but then you can't go too hard because then you're going to choke the wood so you right. gotta you gotta really know how to dial that in and um the fine line so you know he really plays them out quite nicely on this one so next here we've got captain jack i thought it was a fascinating intro they hadn't quite dialed in the intro yet yeah. it has that keyboard thing going on with just symbols behind it right the intro seemed a little wonky to me you know because overall i think this performance of this song is amazing but the intro just wasn't quite there yet for me. They sort of fall into it is, is the thing. And yes. note this, however, once he gets into the intro and he's playing it, that is neither the intro from Piano Man nor Songs in the Attic. The people yeah. there knew what that was. Take note of that, that, you know, the live crowd knew was hip to it. Yeah. that different arrangement. Yeah. Piano Man intro, this intro, this era, and Songs in the Attic intro are all so different, like so drastically different. But yeah, yeah, the fact that the crowd was hip to it and knew it, that's pretty impressive. Now, here's what I realized during this one. And this is something we've touched on a couple of the other songs. He was not referential about these songs yet. Piano Man wasn't (gasps) Piano Man. New York State of Mind wasn't uh, a standard worthy of Tony Bennett yet. Right. Captain Jack, you know, was a breakout, at least to Philly, but he screws with these songs left and right. It's not no, that he doesn't not show sacred. Them. Right, exactly. They're not sacred yet. And, you know, this is another great example. Um, you know, if you're playing this one, it's a fun song. It's a good song, but you could sometimes start eating the sandwich during the verses. You know, you, you're just laying back and then you, and then you get into the, the chorus. It's cool. Then you lay back again. Blah, 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 blah. But they really have a lot of fun with it on this one. I mean, there's a, it gets funky. They're screwing around on it, you know, yep. and it's, it's just, it's not reverential. He's way out of breath at the end of it too oh yeah i I noticed too those big um runs on the mood going on near the end too all over the place that (laughs) you never hear anywhere else oh yeah richie was kicking ass on the organ on this one yeah uh yeah that the synth lines at the oh man yeah this is a great version of this one yeah if you don't want to be you know touched in your heartstrings by captain jack this is the version you want you know (laughs) exactly i did notice the one thing that I would end up on Attic is the ending of Captain Jack. That ending was pretty well defined at this point. That's the yeah. thing with a lot of these songs had fade outs, so it was like when they started doing these live, they had to figure out how the hell to end them. It's like, right. what, you know, what do you do? Do you just stop or do you have to like come up with some big grandiose thing? The ending here on this version of Captain Jack is super similar to how it ended up on Songs in the Attic, and that caught my ear too. They were dialing that in already, even though the intro still was under construction. I like that phrase, under construction. <laughs> so now we get, uh, oh man, we got a great double shot from Piano Man here. Yes. Uh, worst Comes to Worst and Ain't No Cry. Man, I love these two songs. I think they are vast yeah. Could you yeah, imagine now if he did a, like a one-two punch like this in the middle of like, <laughs> one of the current shows? Oh, we could sneak up to the front. It'd be great. <laughs> yeah, everyone would go have get the, a beer. Yeah, have all those tourists yeah. Yeah, being like, what's going on? <laughs> all right, what was going on with that drum part at the beginning? Was there a screw up there? <laughs> yeah, I was trying to figure that 
now too. I see that's the thing when there's no video, you can't kind of see what's going on. Are they messing around, sliding into it? You know, you there's no like visual reference to what was going on. So I kind of tilted my head at that. I was like, what's what's <laughs> happening here? Something's not quite right, but I don't know why. Because you hear, I guess, Howie chunking on the guitar, and you hear him finally slide into the rhythm. He couldn't find the one. You know, the what? Okay, so first of all, you know, there's another example of arrangement choices because. Uh, they didn't have like congas or whatever is on the record. So Lib comes up with this really offbeat drum part and it's cool and it works. But the problem is you don't know where the beginning of the pattern is. You don't hear a real definitive one. That There you go. Yep. And so that's why you hear, if you listen for that guitar, he's and he, he's, he's trying to establish where the one is for himself and or the other players so anybody else can come in on it. You know, you mentioned this the congas is, on the album track, see, with Crystal, like, that's something they could totally do now. And, yeah, it's, I've, it's fun. I love hearing, like, just the rock. I mean, this is another one that uh, became a New York song instead of a, a, a country western song, you know. I mean, you, you saw him in the desert of Arizona or somewhere, stopped on his way to, to California, yeah. writing this one. Um, yeah, I mean, he's having fun with it. He starts rolling his R's all over the place. He rolls oh, his R's yeah. like he whistles surprisingly well. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, there's a lot of consistency on there. <laughs> yeah. And I like how it just dovetails right into Ain't No Crime at the end. It just, like, slides right into it. Suddenly you're like, hey, what are you doing? We've talked before, too, about how, you know, how well he structures concert and how the yeah. back end of that is just a party. And, you know, these are the songs that he used for the party uh, before he had You May Be Right and Big Shot and Only the Good Die Young, you know. It was Worst Comes to Worst and Ain't No Crime. Like, wow, man, these are rock and roll songs. Like, <laughs> yeah. One of the other things I love about this album is just these great updates of the Piano Man material, in particular these and Somewhere Along the Line, oh, the ones that didn't make it to Songs in the Attic. I mean, at this point, what are we missing? Stop in Nevada? Stop in Nevada. And, uh, if I only had the words. If I only you. had the words. Between CW Post and Songs in the Attic, I think he captured them all again. The whole record. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I'd love when, to, uh, when I saw Billy in Portland a couple years ago, he pulled out Stop in Nevada for a few dates, and wow, I feel like that hadn't been played in 35 years at that point. Like you were saying with these songs, if they were done now, that's exactly what Stop in Nevada was. Everyone's yeah. just kind of mumbling to themselves. People are getting up, walking around, doing whatever. I was like, yeah. as soon as Jen looked over at me, she could tell I was like seeing something special. She just saw yeah, the look yeah. in my eye like, oh my gosh, they are not doing this right now. Oh my gosh. There's much to say about that one. I think we'll save it for the piano, man. Agreed. But, uh, this song, though, like right away, my head's bobbing. Okay, number one. Okay, so clearly he's he's jamming on the Moog at the end there. Yeah. Is that the line from All You Want to Do is Dance? Did he play the Moog on All You Want to Do is Dance? That's that funny. might be. He may have stuck that in there. And I always wondered what he used on, on turnstiles for that sound, because you never hear it again. It almost sounds like a steel drum. That keyboard solo on All You Want to Do is Dance, it's a very reggae thing. So it's like, yeah. it's a keyboard with a steel drum vibe, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, you cut the decay up the attack. I got a guy. I'm going to ask my guy about that. I got a synth guy. You sound like that Pawn, pawn Star show. <laughs> Why, they do that? I got a guy? Yeah, he's like, let me bring in this guy, this friend of mine who knows something about whatever you're talking about. Like, they, they have a guy for everything. I got me a synth guy. Pretty much right into Ain't No Crime. Yep. Uh, really, really, really riding the wave here. But he's so in control of his voice, Billy, on this one. Yeah. He's not a torch singer. He's clearly not. He's clearly a rock and roll singer, but like when he hits, he, he can yeah. he always could hit a sweet note. And it's amazing to hear him like towards the end of a show like this, flying all over the place, and uh, and he, and he's still pulling out these like 
perfect notes in the middle of it. Yeah, he's really pacing himself well vocally here to be able to still be doing that at this far end. Really some nice notes here. So then we go right off, worst comes to worst, right into Ain't No Crime. This is another great update of the Animal Man material here. The groove is just head yeah. bopping, the bass is popping. It, this is a fun song. They're so high, just hanging on. If Billy wasn't playing, I don't think it would have mattered. Like that's how good the band is sounding at this point. Like the piano is like an afterthought. This really is not a piano focused song. The, the guitars and the bass, and the, yeah, the whole rhythm section, that's really driving this one. It's a lot of riffing. I think it's that and a couple of these other songs, like the originals with the session musicians were a little more delicate, a little more nuanced, but mm -hmm. they're attacking it almost like they're Zeppelin, man. You yeah. Know, that's that's yeah. what I think is what happens. It's more boogie woogie for sure. You know, that, that's what's making these uh, a whole lot of fun. So say goodbye to Hollywood. I like this version a lot. I don't always enjoy the songs in the attic version as much. It's good. It just it's something about it seems just like a little too heavy. It's got a little too much like sonic baggage to it. I like mm. this one sounding a little thinner. Um, Interesting. You know, it's supposed to be like a Phil Spector wall of sound. And Phil Spector would uh, stack a lot on, but it wasn't really a lot of low end stuff. And so the Coliseum kind of version of just has too much on the low end for me sometimes. It's a okay. little like uh, wading through molasses. So I like this live version a lot. It combines the energy of songs with a little yeah. more of the production value that I like. I want to make a point about what he does on the piano in the beginning, right? Because we all we, we talked about before, and if you listen to these old you know recordings, he likes to let his hands wander for a minute, right? Mm -hmm. When he lets his hand wander, or a lot of other people, you know, it's usually nothing too sophisticated. It's usually fast, it's a little flashy. But it's usually a melodic run, probably close, related to a scale that probably pretty much is running a scale. He throws in these jazz chords. Like, he throws in these really interesting chords right in the beginning. And he does it twice. The second time is what you think he's going to do in a situation like that, where he's voice leading, and you can hear a melody emerging, a very clear, very diatonic melody emerging from what he's doing. But right before that, He's throwing in these really interesting harmonic uh, ideas with the chords. I, I love it. I love it because it sounds, again, like it's it's offhand, you know, but it's pretty damn cool. I dug that part of the intro. I do love the Attic version quite a bit. I'm not going to yeah. lie. I, I love that version <laughs> a lot. I, I'd say probably the one thing I don't like about the earlier versions of Say Goodbye to Hollywood is the way he says the word would. I know it sounds silly, <laughs> but go on. I like how it developed on Songs in the Attic, where it's say goodbye to Hollywood. Where the uh, earlier versions, it's wood. It's very overpronounced. His delivery on it is so different. He's funny like that. There's some times when he's really, really specific about ending a word on a consonant. <laughs> yeah. And to be fair, it is how he sang it on Turnstiles, yeah. so it is album correct, but I love how it developed. Yeah, yeah, he lands it a little harder. The ending to this one is, isn't quite there yet. To me, the ending on this one sounds clipped and a little unsure. And yeah. I don't know if it's because it was or if that's because I'm so used to hearing that really definitive um, yeah. Songs in the Attic ending. I did like on the ending, though, how you hear him yelling like Hempstead Turnpike, and then he yells some <laughs> other turnpike. Yeah. <laughs> and then he does shout out, hey, DeVito. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, all right, that's a cool little th nod to the studio version. I, I thought that was neat. You know, the songs were not sacred yet. You know, he, yep. they were still his. He could do whatever the hell he wanted with them. It's fun. Well, that studio version, that tells you how even unsacred, <laughs> I don't know if that's a word, how non-sacred they were uh, in the studio even. The fact that, like, Billy's just in the booth recording a vocal take. He sees Liberty walk out of the control room <laughs> and he just yells, hey, DeVito, where are you going? 
and they leave it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, that's great. I'm gonna say the weekend song is possibly his silliest song after nobody knows but me <laughs> this is one that you really really don't hear anymore no. um, you know here's the problem with it he doesn't know what he's writing about on this one that's the problem like he's got no conception of working seven long years for the same corporation you know especially by street life serenade so many songs of his where he's talking about the working condition and the human condition you really believe it this yeah. one like yeah like you said this one it's i feel like he's not identifying with the lyric i think he was like all right what doesn't the working man like about his job you know and there's elements um, i love about this song too i mean and it's a fun song i like yeah the guitar work is fun but the yeah lyrically it just doesn't land but to that point so it kind of takes you out of it on the album you're like all right it's he's not into this you know there's no reason to to make so much room for his vocals but you know this this tells you how bruce got away with it you know this version just swings that it doesn't matter that the lyrics are right. pure shenanigans you're like yeah whatever ah, back shaking bone breaking whatever whatever you think working in office yeah. is like yeah yeah oh that's what i wanted to say before yeah ain't no crime real oh. quick ain't, ain't no crime always sounded to me like a like it was going to be a tv theme song but not this version like uh, and this one and too a little something. yeah yeah the momentum on this version is amazing you wouldn't think they could get to that right off say goodbye to hollywood say goodbye to hollywood's a little bit of a breather mm-hmm. and uh the, wow they just ratchet it right back up to 11 like you know right out the gate with this guy yeah and i'm surprised that it's so near the end of the set i, I just feel like it was an odd choice really i mean yeah i don't like know like right at the uh, end or it definitely fits it's his mold of you know rocking it out at the that's end. That's true. But yeah, to put it that close, like to, to be like one of the last things you're gonna hear for the night to be a weekend song is pretty fun. Right. Like I feel like it could have been moved earlier and maybe another rocker. They could have swapped positions. Yeah. But see, even this goes back to like the point. Like this is pre-Stranger, pre-52nd Street. So like there's no big shot yet, and all these songs that became the standard for like the rockers at the end of the show you may be right all this stuff they haven't been written yet <laughs> right right yeah it's funny when you think you got a closer and then like you write a classic later <laughs> that becomes the closer right all right there's one other thing and i maybe i should have written down a timestamp, but whatever everybody's got some time right now go ahead and do this so check out this version of weekend song right and then you got to go to um the zappa album roxy and elsewhere you gotta listen to that version of Trouble Every Day. The uh, the drum fill that uh, Chester and I guess I think it was Ralph Humphrey was the other drummer. They do a drum fill there that's oddly similar to the one that that, that Liberty does here, like with the kind of going from the toms down to the bass. Yeah, okay. That's I'm like, uh, you know, I, when I got the chance to interview Liberty, uh, he was, you know, he made no bones about licks that he copped. So I'm, I'm kind of curious if, if that was where this one came from because I think he throws it out a couple times. You don't really hear him do it on a record it's not a liberty sounding fill yeah i forget who who played on the album ronnie tut maybe yeah but i don't think that fill was in there no 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 for sure so that's the last full band song of the night and we go into the closer which is one of my favorite closers of all time which is souvenir I like it a lot. I think it worked better on Live from Long Island, but like because like they just coming off like such a scorching couple of songs there that it's almost like man, you almost wanted him to end with a weekend song. But it, it's nice that he just takes it down and like kind of gives people literally like a souvenir, like it's almost like a gift bag on your way out of the out of the show, like you know, a little something to bring you down, take you out. I think I said that the last time too. Yeah. What was crazy about Live from Long Island is it was like two songs like after the band walked off stage. Oh yeah. They did. Where's the orchestra? 
extra too, but that never made the video. Right, right, right. But I, I kind of, as much as I want to hear and see the Where's Your Orchestra, I do love just the rockers going right into the souvenir. It, it's just like big, crazy, loud energy, and then just like parties over, and I'm just <laughs> sitting at the piano by myself reflecting. It's funny that like you get two take it easies after the big rockers. He's like, yeah, All right, take it easy, and then souvenir you get, and there's the don't take any shit from no one. <laughs> I know. Yeah, he he he. It's there. I know. I was, I was like, wow, there it is. You know, that that was such a thing for so long. And he, he hasn't done it in a long time. Maybe he feels kind of silly saying it now, but yeah, um, that was just such a classic ending. Yeah. And that's the record, man. And, you know, and we, we kind of alluded to it because I think we grabbed a little about it yep. when we did Live from Long Island. I definitely uh, went on a little rant there when we did, uh, the, you know, last play at Shea. Yeah. Um, this is the full show. No BS, no rearranging, no cutting anything. Turn on your radio. Back in May of 1977, this came flying out of it. Yeah, 22 full songs. And I know we talked about a lot of the guys who were on stage for this show, but I don't think we went through the full lineup. It was obviously oh, right. Billy Joel. You had Liberty DeVito on drums, Doug Stegmeyer on bass, Howie Emerson on guitar. This is an era where Russell Javers was working on his own solo career, so he wasn't playing with Billy at this moment. And then you had, obviously, Richie Cannata on saxophone and organ and keyboard and all that stuff as well. Yeah, nice, lean, yep, tight lineup, man. Ah, right, yeah, so that's our song-by-song review of this uh, amazing firecracker of an album, a bootleg or a concert or a radio broadcast, whatever you want to call it, Billy Joel, live at CW Post, uh, 1977. Uh, you can find it on Spotify. It says Billy Joel Greenvale, 1977, live. And Greenvale was the town CW Post was in. It's also out there on YouTube, and on the YouTube version, you'll get uh, the Miami 2017. Well, hold on a second. Huh, last time I listened to it, you couldn't hear Miami 2017 on Spotify. Right? But it's there now. Going. Yeah, I ain't complaining. Just No, you know, maybe. Don't call me a liar later on when you go check and you see it. <laughs> don't email us about it. <laughs> yeah, you can find it on YouTube, the CW Post. And uh, yeah, man, this is this is a great one. If, if you thought you've heard it all, you, you're not going to hear any new songs, but you're going to hear some very different versions of it. Yeah, these guys could play. That's no, you know, there's no doubt about it. And, you know, whether you're a fan or not, you're going to watch a show like this or listen to a show like this and... You're going to come away with a respect for the musicianship and just how great these guys played together. Oh, yeah. So if anyone out there was at this show or if you heard it on the radio when it was broadcast, we'd love to hear from you. And if this is your first time listening to this show, we'd love to hear your thoughts about it as well. You can reach out to us anytime. We're on all the social media networks, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you search Glass Houses, a Billy Joel podcast. You'll find us there. And you can also find us on the web at glasshousespod.com or you can email us directly, glasshousespodcast at gmail.com. Jack and I would love to hear from you guys and hear your thoughts on this show and the set list and everything going on with it. Please reach out to us anytime. And we've got uh, some fun things coming up soon. So we're going to dip out right now, but we will see you back in a couple weeks. Yeah, see you guys soon. The souvenir will slowly fade away. Good night. Don't take any shit from anybody. <laughs> <laughs>